see him now? Can you see him now? Can you see him now? Can you see him now? How was your test? How was your test? Oh, sorry, Mom. Yeah, I didn't do that well. I kind of failed. What do you What do you mean you failed? What do you What do you mean you I'm failed? Sorry, Mom. I've been paying for all these students classes. They're not cheap. I'm hard. I'm hard. Not hard. It's just not easy on me. You're not being easy on me. This is not fun. Can you see him now? Welcome, everybody. I'll get some lights there. There we go. Welcome, everybody, to the second week in the Can You See Him Now series. I'm excited that so many people are joining us here today, and I see lots of dads here. And for all the dads, we wish you a very, very, very happy Father's Day. And we got a perfect message today, because today we're going to talk, if you're here just joining us in this series, we're talking about the characteristics of God and knowing who God is. And what we agreed in the very beginning is that, as it says there on your handout, that the most telling characteristic about a man is what his view of God is. And we agreed last week that our view of God and who we think he is is going to affect us in more ways than we realize. And every week in this series, we're going to look at a different aspect of who God is and try to understand that aspect. Because if we don't have a proper view of God, as I said last week, told a story about Jim and Jane, if you all remember it, about a boy who liked a girl and a girl who liked a boy, but the boy thought that the girl hated him, and the girl thought that the boy hated her. So because of that perception in their mind, a good thing almost didn't happen. And it wasn't until they got past the misperceptions and understood who each one really was that this great relationship happened. And I believe the same is true for many of us in our relationship with God. So oftentimes, it's not who God is that stops us from relating to him. It's who we think he is. And today we're going to talk about the aspect of God that is most important, and is the one that is the most confusing for so many, and the one that we have the most misperceptions on, we're talking about the love of God. And we're talking about how God is love. And like I said, it's the perfect message for Father's Day, because we're going to talk about true fatherly love. And what does that mean when we say that God is love? Our prayer for these next few weeks, if you all remember, is Matthew chapter 20, verse 33. Those blind guys by the side of the road, Jesus walked by, and those blind guys said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And the Bible says that Jesus touched them and gave them their eyes. That's our prayer. As Jesus is walking by every Sunday from 1130 to 1230, he's going to walk by here. And as he walks by, we're going to say, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. And we're praying each week he touches us and allows us to see him in a new way and experience him in a new way. All right, you guys ready? Before we jump into today's topic, we're going to play a little game from my childhood called Name That Tune. Y'all know Name That Tune? All right, I'm going to play an audio clip, just the music, not the words, because the words would give it away, obviously. And we're going to see who can recognize the song, all right? Uh, shout it out if you got it, all right? We'll do this as many, a few beats as possible. Ready? All right, and you youngins, I'm going back through the time machine on this one, okay? So we're going back, 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 old school here. Ready? 
impressive. Anyone else get that? Try again for those who didn't hear what she said. Anybody other than this smart lady in the front? Who's younger than all of us here, make us feel? Nobody? Try a little more. Y'all know this song? Who sang this song? Dionne Warwick, but did you know she actually did a remix of it? There was another lady who sang it before that. Beyonce. Uh, I haven't checked my notes on that one. <laughs> Beyonce it is. All right, whatever. Beyonce it is. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Great tune that you cannot listen to without doing like this. All right? And if you didn't do like this, then you don't know the song. Because you can't listen to this song like this. You got to listen to this song like this. Because it's a great message. And what it says is exactly as you see right there. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Then it goes on to say, Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains enough to climb and uh, seas enough to swim. Whatever, whatever, whatever. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. And I don't think that there's anybody in the world who would disagree with this message. That we need more love in the world. Agree? Everyone agree we need more love. Agree? You don't agree. You know why? Because if I gave you three wishes today. And I say, I'll give you any three wishes that you want. I bet you that no one would say the world needs more love. We'd say, give me this at work. We'd say, fix this problem at home. We'd say, uh, fix this illness or this disease or whatever it may be or this problem in my life. But even though we agree that what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Like, let's imagine for one second. Imagine for one second that the world, we could take like a... Um, injection of love okay just a, a, a love and just inject it and let's start let's start simple let's say our homes let's say you go to our homes and you just take a big dose of love and you're not not, not inject let's dump a big bucket of love on top of that home so that the kitchen is full of love the bedroom is full of love the family room is full of love the the basement is full there's love overabounding, and someone walks in this house, and they get hit in the face and say, this is the most loving house in the whole wide world. How would that have changed your day this today? How would that have changed your childhood growing up? Let's go bigger. Let's go your office building. Let's say someone comes and applies for a job in your office building, and the first thing that they see all around that's evident is, man, these people in this office, just like all of your places of business, these people really love each other. And I can see very clearly that the boss loves the person and the person loves the coworker, and everyone loves everyone in this place. What would going to work look like and what would your problems look like if that characterized your workplace, your schools? How about we go even bigger? How about we go just down the street right here, this direction, we go into Washington, D.C., we go to the Capitol building. Let's say you attended a session of Congress and you walked out of there and said, man, I have never seen more love than I've seen in that place. Would the world look the same today? You mean we go on? United Nations, Middle East, World Cup, Brazil. Imagine if really there was more love in the world than I think all the things that we said that we want to pray about. I don't think we need to pray about them as much anymore. If really the world had more love in it. So here's the question that we need to ask ourselves at the start. If you want more love and I want more love, 
and everyone in the world wants more love. The Republicans and the Democrats want more love. And everyone wants more love. How come there isn't more love? Everyone wants more love. You think anyone's walking around saying, we need less love in this place? Why isn't there more love? I think the problem is we don't understand love. I don't think the problem is that we don't want more love. I think the problem is we don't have a clear definition of what love is. And each one of us, with so many things in life, this is what we do. We make up a definition in our mind. I never met a person who considers themselves not loving. We all have a definition in our mind of what love is. And we define love a certain way. And then we go around and operate based on that love. And that love, is that definition in our mind, is completely subjective. We go around and say, I love you. And we go around and think that we're loving people. But then somehow there's a disconnect. Husbands say, a husband would say, I love my wife so much. And I show her how much I love her every single day. And the wife come and say, I never felt more unloved in my life. What happened? I'm showing her I love her. She's waiting for me to tell her I love her. Problem. Someone says, the poor people in the street, we need to show them love by feeding them. And someone come right behind them and say, no, we need to show them love by not enabling them. What's love? Is this love or is that love? Is love tough or is love kind? Is love always giving or is love know when to cut off? problem is in life is we each invent our own definition of love and here you know what your definition of love is usually based on your behavior like here's how I behave and then I say this is love and then you behave this way and you say okay this is love because no one wants to walk around and say that I'm an unloving person so we define love in our own subjective way and this is why we struggle to find love in the world because we're not defining it in the same way let's go systematically here about what love is in the sake of the world. Three facts, okay, and this is very logical, very straightforward, he'll run through these real quick. Fact number one that I believe, tell me if you disagree with me, is that every single person in the world is created with a need for love. There is a universal need for love that each one of us is programmed inside of us, and you don't need to go very far, turn on, turn on the TV and watch a movie, and you see everyone wants love. Listen to the songs on the radio, by Dionne Warwick or Beyonce or whoever it is that you listen to, you're going to find 90% of the songs out there talking about love. And watch any TV show. We All of us, from the minute that we're born, we have this innate need to be cared for, to be nurtured, to be loved. And it's not wrong. We don't need to apologize for it. And if you want to know where this need for love is in your life today, nine out of ten times, go to the behaviors in your life that you cannot explain and that you hate about yourself, and I'm telling you, nine out of 10 times, the root of that is a lack of, of that need for love being filled. And it leads us to behaviors that we hate. We don't know why we do it, but we do it because that lack of love, lack of a need. So fact number one, there's a universal need for love. Fact number two, just as there's a universal need, there is a universal solution to that need. And there has to be, and you have to believe that because you believe in God. And you cannot believe in a God who would create a universal need without creating a universal solution. So I'm saying that somewhere, and I didn't get to the somewhere yet. We'll get to the solution, but I'm just going logic right now. If there's six billion people on this planet in need of something, then there has to be 
that something enough for six billion people somewhere on this planet. Like if I create six billion people in need of water, I don't create enough water for six billion people to drink, then I'm a mean God, then I'm an unjust God who does not treat people fairly. There has to be a universal solution to that need. And then number three, and most important for our purposes today, there's a tragic disconnect between the need and the solution. Meaning, you got six billion people here in need of love. You have love here to feed six billion people. And then you have a little pipe between the two, at least what it seems. A little, like a one-way bridge that's crickety, and it's a lot of times the traffic is stopped, and you got six billion people here who are in need of something over there, but somehow there's a disconnect between the solution and the need. Draw you a picture. Let's imagine, let's say love is like the ocean, is like the water on this planet. How much of this planet is water? It's three quarters of the earth, all right? So you got three quarters of the earth is water all around to the north, south, east, and west is water. Let's say, hypothetically, we take all the human beings on this planet, all right, all six billion of them, and we put them in the middle of a piece of land, like in the middle of the United States of America where there's no water all around. What's in the middle? Kansas, Nebraska, Idaho, somewhere around there. Iowa. Let's say we put all six billion people between Kansas, Idaho, and Iowa. We put all six billion people right there in the middle of the country with no water all around. And all these six billion people are thirsty and in need of, of drink. Is there enough water on the planet to give them all drink? Absolutely. Three quarters of the earth is water. There's enough water for everyone to swim in, to bathe in, to wash in, and it rains and teeth and all, anything that you need, there's enough water. But the problem is where they're all standing, they don't see any of it. And they can't find any of it. So what happens? You got six billion people here who are thirsty. And then look, there's a drop of water out of that tree. And then you got six billion people run to fight over this drop. And get out of my way for the drop. And then someone says, look, there's dew on the grass. Get out of my way. And they go find this piece of grass to get this little piece of dew off of. Because you got six billion people thinking that they're just dew or dew and drops and fighting over it. Every scrap and every little drop. The whole time not realizing. Man, there's oceans and oceans and it's free. And it never runs out. And it's always replenishing. That's what's called a tragedy. It is tragic today that everyone needs something. God has more than enough of it. But you find people who can't seem to make the connection. Why can't people connect? Some people say, give them the, the I never heard of God's love. Okay, some people never heard of God's love. Some people say that I heard about it, but I didn't never seen it in reality. I never seen it with my eyes. So therefore, I didn't think it was real. Okay, that's fine. But I don't think that's the majority of us in this room. I don't think that's the majority of us in this room. I think the majority of us in this room don't understand God's love. And we don't know what we're looking for. And because we don't understand it, when we step into it, we don't even realize that it's right in front of us. And that's why our goal today is to come to a bet, Lord, that our eyes may be open to understand God's love. I love this verse from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. St. Paul speaks to the people in Ephesus, and he says to them about the love of God. This is his prayer for them, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ 
which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The love of Christ which passes knowledge means what? means that we may know a few verses, we may sing a few songs, we may heard a Sunday school lesson here or two about God's love. But man, if that's all you know about God's love is up here, is like an intellectual knowledge, God's love is much bigger than words. It's much bigger than lessons. I could stand up here and talk all day and all night, which I won't, but I could, and I wouldn't do justice. It wouldn't allow you to know the love of God which passes knowledge. It's something more than can be comprehended intellectually. What I'm going to try to do today, and as I was praying about this yesterday, I realized that this is not an easy job. And I'm not saying I'm going to do a good job, but I'm going to do my best job, but I can only do so much. To describe the love of God and to try if people walk out of here today understanding God's love a little bit better. God's love is simple until you understand the depth of it and the bigness of it. And then all of a sudden, it becomes quite overwhelming. So I'm going to do my best, and we're going to try to talk today about characteristics of God's love. But I cannot take God's love and dumb it down into three fill-ins, and you walk out today and know God's love. God's love is like a huge planet, all right, a ginormous planet. And from here on this side, we can see a little bit of it. And then you on that side see another side. And someone over there see that side, and this side, and this side. And we're going to try to draw some circles and connect some of the dots and understand God's love a little bit more. But God's love is more than something that can be understood. It's something that has to be experienced, and I'll talk about that. Most important thing that we know about God's love. Here we go, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. I said at the beginning, there is no objective definition of love. I lied. There is an objective definition. It's given to us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So there, we've now defined love. God is love, love is God. God is love, love is God. So there, very simple and straightforward. This definition of love doesn't make it easier, it makes it more complex. Because if you define love for me as something, I wanted something I can hold. You just defined it as God, which cannot be contained, and something that's infinite and eternal. And the definition of love just became even that much more complex. The way that we're going to look at love, again, back to the ocean example. The ocean, let's look at the ocean as God's love. Because that's a good analogy, because the ocean, for all practical purposes, is infinite. It never, ever, ever ends. You keep on going, you want to go deeper, and you say, I've gotten to the bottom. No, you can still go deeper. And you say, okay, I've gotten to the deepest spot. No, you can still go deeper. And you say, I'm going to remove all the love. I'm going to take all this water, and I'm going to take it home with me come back the next day, this exact same amount. Like you cannot remove, you cannot add, you can't, okay, I'm going to empty my hose into the ocean, all of a sudden it's going to flood the earth. No, it's never. You can't affect the ocean. The ocean is as close as you'll get to infinity on this earth. That's what God's love is. A lot of us think we know God's love because what we do is we visited the ocean and we have swum in the ocean, swam in the ocean, and we have dipped our toe in the ocean. Maybe some of us even drank some of the ocean by accident. So we say, okay, I understand, you know, I understand God's love. Like I, I, I know some verses about it and I, you know, I understand, I've heard. But I'm telling you, you can't stand on the shore of, of Ocean City, Maryland and dip your little toes inside and say, yeah, I got a full grasp of what the ocean is. Man, you don't know nothing about the ocean. 
You standing on the shore of the ocean thinking that you understand the depth of the ocean? What we need to do, the only way you're going to understand that ocean, you're going to rip your shirt off, take your shoes off, you're going to jump into that ocean. And that's what our goal is here for today. Is not just to study the ocean at the surface level, but to see how we can jump in the ocean and understand it a little bit more. All right? First thing we need to know about God's love. And I'm going to repeat this probably every single week in this series because I talked about it last week. Most important thing you know about God's love, it is not like human love. And the difference between God's love and human love is this. Most important thing you know about God's love is the difference between God's love and human love is the source. The source of human love is the object. The source of God's love is the giver. What's that mean? Me and you as human beings, how do we determine love? Love is something for us that we turn on and we turn off. Here's a person I like her, I give her love. Here's a person I don't like, I withhold love. Here's a person I feel sorry for, love. Here's a person I couldn't care less for, withhold love. With us, we look around and we say love, love, no love. The object determines the love. And if the object is nice, we're nice. The object is not nice, we're not nice. You understand? The object determines the love. When it comes to God, how does he decide to give love or not give love? Not based on the object, but based on the giver. So God comes to this person and says, I'm love, gives love. Comes to this person and says, I'm love, gives love. He even comes to this person and says, I'm love, and he gives love. And this person may be uh, uh, a saint. Um, this person could be a criminal. God is the same. So it doesn't matter who the object is in front of him or what the object has done or what the object looks like. The object does not determine the love. The giver and the nature of the giver determines the love. I'll give you an example to, to, to make it clear. Think of the difference of, in smell. Okay, like certain objects give off smell. All right, and forgive me for the crude example. Let's say you got a pile of horse manure, and then you got a pile of middle school boys. Horse manure, middle school boys. At times, one could confuse the smell of these two different objects. And one could say that there's no difference in the smell between the pile of manure and the middle school boys. And if you don't believe me, I used to do all the retreats for the middle school, okay? And just trust me, okay? Middle school boys... But the difference between the two is this. The manure is smelly by its nature. The boys are smelly by their behavior <laughs> and by what they choose to release into the environment, okay? So they are choosing to say, now Father Anthony is about to give the talk, release. <laughs> the manure makes no distinction, whether it's Father Anthony, whether it's no one. The manure is smelly by its nature. Now take that same example, but flip it in a positive way, obviously, because we're talking about God's love. God emanates love by his very existence. God, like the manure, doesn't choose to love. God doesn't choose and say, now I will love. He doesn't choose. He is love. The sun doesn't choose to say, okay, light on now. The sun is light. Like there's no way that you have the sun's existence without light emanating. There's no way you have manure without smell. There's no way you have God without love. We're like the high school or the middle school boys. 
we choose to extend love, okay, or not extend love, all right? I think you all got the picture that I'm trying to, to give off right here. God cannot be persuaded to love more or less. God cannot be um, convinced to give us more love because we really, really, really want more love or to take away that love if we're really, really, really bad. Mathematicians, God is infinity. So let's say I have infinity minus 100. What do I end up with? Infinity. Infinity minus 200. Infinity. Infinity minus 10,000. Infinity. Okay, now do the opposite. Infinity plus. Infinity plus 100 plus 200 plus 300. Infinity. God cannot love more, cannot love less, cannot change because God does not love. The Bible doesn't say God loves. The Bible says God is love. Y'all understand the difference? See why I'm saying that human love is not like God's love. We talked about last week how we think of God as just a human being and then a better human being. No, God is not a better version of our love. God is a completely different kind of love. The difference between God's love and man's love, think of a, a which side is God? God is this side. Think of a Ferrari, a real live Ferrari, and then think of a little toy matchbox Ferrari. And you look at them and say, okay, well, they're both red and they both have four wheels, so they're the same. No, they're not the same. This is not a bigger version of this. This is real, this is fake. This you get in and drives. This is a toy. And no matter how much this on the outside may look like this is not the same. And a human being's love on their best, 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 most loving day has nothing to do with God's love. It's a toy versus the real deal. With that said, we're gonna go now into three characteristics about the love of God. Again, I'm not saying this is all you need to know about God's love. I'm saying I'm going to draw a dot here, a dot here, and a dot here. And I believe if we connect these dots, we will understand more about the solution to the universal need that every one of us has, which is that need for love. Number one about God's love, as I said a minute ago, is God's love is unchangeable. God's love is unchangeable. You cannot change any aspect of God's love because it's his very nature that is love. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The other verses say there is no variation or shadow of turning with God. It's hard for us to comprehend that God's love is unchangeable. One, because our human love is so changeable. But you know the other reason that I found? God's love is unchangeable doesn't mean that his behavior is unchangeable. This trips us up. We, because we as human beings, love and behavior are connected. If I love you, I give you. If I don't love you, I take from you. So we think love and behavior are connected. So when God gives us, we say, oh, God loves us. But then when God removes from us, we say, God doesn't love us. False. We connect behavior. I got a promotion. God loves me. I lost my job. God doesn't love me. My wife is sick. Sorry. My wife is sick. God doesn't love me. My wife is healed. God loves me. We connect behavior and love. But when God says, I love you and I am love, it doesn't mean I will always give you what you want. Just as parents, when we tell our children we love them, it doesn't mean we give them what they want. It means we give them what's best for them. And this is a hard thing for us to understand because like we talked about last week, we think we know it all. But we got to get to the point where we realize God's love doesn't change. And if this is what God gives me, then this is out of his love. So the promotion, why did God give me a promotion? Because of his love. 
Why did God make me get laid off, or not make me get laid off, allow me to get laid off? Out of his love as well. That's hard for us to understand. That's hard for us to understand. But you know what else is hard to understand? When I'm a child and mom says, go to sleep at 8 o'clock. And I say, I don't want to go to sleep at 8 o'clock. If you love me, you let me stay up and watch game 5 tonight. And we say, no, because I love you, go to sleep. A child doesn't understand. How, if you love me, you make me go to sleep? How, if you love me, you don't let me eat dessert? How, if you love me, you allow me to get laid off? How, if you love me, you allowed her to say no? How, if you love me, you didn't bring her back? We don't understand these things. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and give you a hope. I give you joy out of love. I give you pain out of love as well. And until you understand that fact or until you understand that you will never understand that, you're always going to struggle with God's love. Let me uh, play devil's advocate here. If God is always love, God is always love, right? God is always love. And no matter what we do, can't change God's love. Agree? So why does God get angry sometimes? Does God get angry sometimes? Yeah. Go read your Bible. You see in the Old Testament, God gets really angry. And in the New Testament too, we see Jesus get angry. How if God loves us, does he get angry? How? If you ask yourself this question, don't, 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 don't overthink yourself here. It's a foolish question. It's a foolish question to say, how could God love me if he gets, how could God get angry if he loves me? You know why it's a foolish question? Because did you know that anger is one of the most important signs of love? And you cannot be angry with a person that you do not love. For example, I walk in the street and I see some kid and he's, you know, uh, cursing. And, 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 and stealing and knocking over old ladies across the street. You know what I'm saying? And he's just like a menace to society. All right? And he's potty mouth and he's just a mess. And I see him and I say, I walk to the other side. Same scenario. I walk down and see that kid. And then all of a sudden I discover that's my kid who's doing that, whom I love very much. And because I love him, what's going to happen when, when we get home later today? Beat down. Y'all know what beat down is? Beat down. There's no way if I love my child, I'm just going to watch him be a menace to society and not do anything. Because I care and because I love, I'm going to pull this ear, maybe pull this one and pull as hard as I can. Because I love him. And maybe if more parents loved a little bit more, maybe the world would be a little bit safer place. Okay? Maybe the problem in the world isn't that people love too much. Maybe it's the opposite. If I don't care about you, okay, let you go. You know, like, glad I'm not your parent. But if I care, no, I get angry. When God gets angry at us, it's not because he stopped loving us. It's, in fact, a greater sign of his love. I believe it's actually a much higher sign of God's, like when God gets angry, it's actually a much greater sign of his love. I love you so much. How could you do this? You're supposed to be the most important people in the world, talking about to the Israelites, talking about his children. You're supposed to be the people that I bless, the people I take care of. I'm supposed to make you up here. How could you do this? His anger is not a sign of he lacked love. His anger is just a more validation that he does love us so much. Okay? So behavior may change, but love never changes. Number two about God's love. God's love is unconditional. And I know I'm throwing out big words here. And I, again, I wish I could define unconditional love and, and put it in a box. I mean, I can't because it's God's love. 
God's love is unconditional. Again, the exact opposite of human love. Human love is, I love you if, or I love you when, or I love you because. God's love is, I love you, period. No if, no when, no because. I love you, no conditions. Jeremiah 31.3 says it so nicely. It says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You know why we struggle to understand unconditional love? Number one, like I said, is because we don't give it. Because we give conditional love, it's so hard for us to understand unconditional. But it's also hard because something about us as parents, maybe like we as parents, sometimes we do this. Maybe our parents did it to us. Don't do that. God won't love you if you do that. Don't do that. God won't love you if you do that. You did that. Okay, now God loves you. That's the worst thing you tell a child. And sometimes I've been pulled in a situation, a parent yelling at her kid, rah, 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 rah. and if you do this, God won't love you. Right, Father Anthony, tell him God won't love him. And I'm like, where'd I come from? You know what I mean? Like, if you don't want to love him, that's fine, but why you pull me into it? And this is the problem, is that we, especially, like, forgive me, I'm pro-dads. Okay, I'm not anti-dads. A lot of people are anti-dads and beat the dads out. I'm not anti-dads. I'm pro-dads. But dads, we have a greater responsibility here. Because when we as dads show our children that our love is conditional, and then they come to church, and the priest says, God is our father. God is just like your father on earth, but a bigger father. So I say, wait, my father on earth is all conditional love. So my father in heaven, like it isn't rocket science to figure this out. We have a greater duty to show that unconditional love. And again, unconditional love, don't, mess, don't get messed up here. Behavior may change. I'm not saying don't discipline your kids. I'm pro-discipline. <laughs> love never changes, even though behavior might change. Let's say you struggle with this unconditional love. I'll give you an easy example. Remember this example, and you just hopefully make it easier for you. Suppose, we'll go to the moms now, because I don't want to give too much to the dads here. Let's say, as a mom, you have a child, and that child keeps on crying. All right, infant child, one year old, two years old, keeps crying, crying, crying. So you tell the baby, stop crying. It doesn't stop. Stop crying. It doesn't stop. You give him a sucker thing, okay? You pat him on the back, like rub his head, whatever it is. He doesn't stop crying. doesn't stop crying. So how many mothers in that situation, kid's been crying a couple days, pick up the phone, call the police and say, well, Mr. Police, my child won't stop crying. Can you please come pick him up and take him out of here? Any mother would do that? Like even a nuts mother wouldn't do that. Like even an insane mother wouldn't do that. Why do we think God would? Why do we put conditions on God's love that we wouldn't even put on human love? Like, in that sense, we make God's love worse than our love. A mother would say, you're crying, stop crying, and do whatever he can to help the child stop crying. But he wouldn't call the police to remove the child from the house. So why do we think God will remove us from his house? We made a mistake, two mistake, three mistake, four mistake, five mistake. God's behavior may change toward us. But God's never going to kick us out of the house. And that actually gets us to the third component of God's love. It is 100% unchangeable, 100% unconditional, and is 100% undeserved. And believing in the undeserved love of God is so important on both ends of the spectrum. I'm not saying God's love is undeserved. We're, 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 we're never good enough for it. I'm not saying it like that. I'm also saying we're never bad enough for it or to lose it. Like you're never good enough nor bad enough. 
Because God's love is like the sun. And, there's not, and it's based on who he is, not based on who you are. If you think that you are not worthy of God's love, that's a sin. If you think that you have earned God's love, that's the same sin. But it's just on the different side. It's a, it's a, it's a straight road and then a ditch on the left and a ditch on the right. It doesn't really matter which one you fall into. And if you think you're not worthy of his love, that's bad. And if you think that you have earned his love, that's equally as bad. Devil would love to get you here into despair or pride. And he would love to get you to kind of go between the two. And actually, you know what? Why I said they're the same sin? Because here I am. I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of God's love. And then I figure out, okay, if I do this, then I'll be worthy of God's love. The devil's like, okay, yeah, do that. Yeah, now you're worthy of his love. And I push you over here into the pride side. And I say, look, I'm worthy of God's love. And look, because I'm good, God loves me. And the devil wants you to say that. You know why? If I'm good, God loves me. If I'm good, God loves me. If I'm good, God loves me. And then what happens when the day that you're not good? Where are you going to go? Back to the despair pit. He would love to get you to jump from side to side and say, if I'm good, he loves me. Because he knows the day is going to come when you're not good. You're going to jump into the other side of the pit. God's love is undeserved. And no matter what we've done, again, God's behavior may change, but his love will never change. For those of you who think that you cannot get to God's love after what you've done, you've gone too far, you've messed up too much, remember Revelation 1.5. And remember this verse because it is so powerful when you understand it. It says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. To him, let me say that again, to him who washed us and loved us. To him who washed us and loved us. Is that what it says? To him who washed us and loved us. Is that what it says? Other way around. Does it make a difference? Absolutely it makes a difference. Absolutely it makes a difference. He doesn't wash us and then love us. He loves us and then washes us. He doesn't love us because we're clean. Because where he loves us, he cleans us. Difference. I go and I look at my wife here on this one because she's a better example of this than me. Okay. Child walks in the house, dirty, muddy, throw up, stuff all over, and crying. Crying, bawling. This isn't a true story, but I'm saying hypothetically she would. Okay. Crying, bawling, hurt, hurt, hurt. Clearly hurt physically, clearly hurt emotionally. What's my wife going to do? She's going to run to that child and she's going to give the child the biggest hug in the whole wide world. Then she's going to take him to the bathroom and clean him. But first she's going to hug him and, and love on him and then clean him. And I'm telling you, that's what God does. We think the opposite. We think if I go in there, he's going to look at me and say, you're dirty. Go clean yourself then get it back in here. We're like, God. So what we say is, okay, I'll go clean myself, then I'll come back. I'm not worthy of God's love right now. Again, that's that, that, that trick that I need to do something to be worthy. I need to clean myself to be worthy. And I tell you, you spend your whole life trying to clean yourself and you never do a good job. Because a baby cannot clean him or herself. A baby cannot clean him or herself. A baby needs to go to mom and say, like, I messed up. Like, I threw up on myself. I pooped in my pants. Like, And trust that the mother is going to hug, is going to love, is going to squeeze, is going to reassure, and then is going to clean. The story of the prodigal son is the best example of this. 
when the boy came back to the father, he was as dirty and as wicked as you can imagine. And the dad ran out to him and hugged him and loved him. And then he said, now let's go and let's get sandals for your feet. And let's get a robe for you wearing that nasty robe. And let's wash the boy's hair. And let's trim him up and all kinds of stuff to have a party. God's love is undeserved. And you're never too good for it or too bad for it. You can never earn it, nor can you ever do anything to lose it. Because God's love is unchangeable, it is unconditional, and it is undeserved. Think back to when would you say that humanity, humankind, I gave the example of a child who poops his pants and threw up on himself. When was humanity as a whole at its darkest, ugliest, most pooped in its pants state? I'd say when we arrested, when man betrayed God, arrested God, put God on trial, crucified, killed, and buried God. Man, who I was talking about before, that God and man, and pilly little man put God on trial and crucified him and buried him. You would say that this was humanity at its lowest, lowest, lowest state. Go to the night when Christ was betrayed and the night that Christ was arrested. And Christ, knowing full well exactly what is going to happen, what is happening, what is going to happen, and he's sitting there with his disciples, knowing that here you got Judas, he's about to stab me in the back. Here you got Peter, who says all kinds of nice words, I love you, I love you, I love you, but before the night is over, he didn't go out and be scared of a little servant girl. He's just I never heard of this guy. I don't know who he was, man. He's not, I'm not with him. And every one of these other guys around the table all of them are going to leave me. And they say nice words. I love you. I love you. I love you. They sing the song. They go to the, the, the meetings at the right time. They say, I love you. They're about to stab me in the back too. And they're about to flee. And Jesus on this night with his disciples, if there's ever a night that I'd say, okay, you get a pass for being a little grumpy tonight. I'd say tonight you get a pass. You're about to be arrested, betrayed, put on trial, crucified, and killed. And these are the guys who are supposed to be your, your closest guys that are all going to leave you. This night, it's okay if he's a little bit on the edgy side. He's a little bit less loving. Agree? Look what the Bible says Jesus did on that very night. John chapter 13, verse 1. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Y'all remember, if you were here during Holy Week, when we were talking about this verse, that verse that says he loved them to the end doesn't mean what we think it means. Doesn't mean he loved them till the end of his time. Better translation, he loved them to the uttermost, meaning he loved them to the end of love. He gave them like love for us is infinite, but for God, nothing is, is undefined. So God says, this is my love. And he gave man every single drop of that love. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them to the end. He said, they're dirty, they're nasty, they're vile, they're despicable. And he loved them to the very end. And as you know, the story goes on. That he got down on his hands and knees, took a towel and a bucket of water, and he washed their stanky, slimy, pooped on themselves, threw up on themselves feet. And he washed them. He loved them, and then he washed them. Because his love is not based on who we are, what we look like, or what we've done. His love is based on who he is. I'm going to give you a nice quote right here from an author named Henry Nguyen. 
who was a Catholic uh, priest or monk or something. He said the following. Over the years, I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, is not popularity or power, but is self-rejection, meaning you're not worthy or deserving of God's love. When we come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts that sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. I love this quote. When you say, I'm not worthy of God's love, you're not being humble. When you say, I don't, when you say that I can't because I'm too bad, you're not being like in, in, a, in, a, in a poor in spirit or in a meek way. You're denying the truth that God has said. That his love is based on who he is, not on who we are. That it is unchangeable, it is unconditional, and it will always be undeserved. And there's nothing that you can do to affect it. My prayer for today. I didn't tell you anything new about God's love. I didn't tell you nothing that you couldn't learn that the kids upstairs in second grade aren't learned. God's love is unconditional. God love, I'm not telling you anything new. But my hope is somehow, if I could draw this picture, and if it makes sense to you, is that from here to here, is that God's love would go from here to here. That we would go from like understanding God's love at an intellectual level to knowing God's love at an experiential level. We would go from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. Difference between saying, I love this person versus loving that person. And to give you an example, last example I'll give you. I brought some toys from my daughter's room here today. This is God's love. This is the ocean for our purposes. This is me. This is my brain. This is me. This is my brain. This is God's love. Most of us live our whole life like this. And we say, look, my brain now is full of God's love. And I understand God's love. And true, we understand God's love. God is love, love sinners, Samaritan woman, nice guy. We understand God's love. But this, imagine this is the ocean, okay? This is obviously. If I take a little shot glass here of ocean water, and I take it and say, look, I understand all the ocean right now. I know everything there is to know about it. I can take this water sample, and I can study it, and I can put it under a microscope, and, and you know, give it a, um, a CAT scan or whatever scan, or I can give it something, and I can understand the microbes and the antibiotics that are inside and the germs and the fleas and the whatever. And the molecules and the atoms and the protons and the ions and the neutrons. And I can understand it. But you can't compare that to that. Only way I'm going to understand the ocean is I'm going to jump in. And I'm telling you that the difference between this and this will change your life.
It'll change your life. And it'll change your life in ways that you never understood. In ways that you didn't even know needed changing. But understanding that there is nothing that I can do to affect God's love for me. And understanding that that's not who he is by choice, but by his nature. This guy, you could sip on little shot glasses of water all day and all night. It'll affect your life. You jump in, you grow yourself some mermaid feet, and you jump in, you start living in there with a little mermaid. That's going to affect your life in ways you never imagined. Wrap up with three things, quick things, because I know I don't want to just give you, imp- I want to give you something practical. I'm going to run through three practical things, not talk about them, just real quick. What to do next? I'm with you, Father Anthony. I want to jump in. How do I jump in? Three small, simple things that over the course of a long period of time will allow you to live with the little mermaid in the ocean. Number one, fill your mind with the truth about God's love. The Bible is full of verses that speak about God. Like the stuff I'm saying, I'm not making up. It's coming from God's word. Romans 8, 38 and 39. It says, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor present things to come, sorry, nor pre- things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I could have found you 100 verses like this because it's Father's Day, though. I'm going to try to keep it quick, all right? I find you 100 verses like this, and every single day we need to go into God's word and fill our mind and remind ourselves of God's love because the world is going to tell you conditional love. Got to earn it. That's what the world's going to tell you. That's what your friends are going to tell you. That's what your family's going to tell you. Unfortunately, that's what people are going to tell us. We need to combat that with the love of God, which is written to us in the scripture in the Bible. Number two, refuse cheap substitutes. What I mean by that is, as the Bible says in 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot have the love of the world and the love of God at the same time. They are polar opposites. One pushes out the other, and the more you put in of one, the more the other has to leave the room. Think of it this way. You walk out of here, you're hungry. You want to have a steak. But on the way, you start nibbling on Cheez-Its, okay? Those delectable little guys, okay? And you know once you start Cheez-Its, you can't stop. That's the rule. So you start, you can't stop. You start, you can't stop. You nibble, you nibble, you nibble. You get to the steak house, you're not that hungry. But did you really fill yourself with anything positive? No, but you replaced the steak with Cheez-Its and you filled your appetite. Same thing with God's love. Do not snack on substitute loves. Love coming from all the stuff that the world offers us, whether it's pleasure or, or, or money or popularity, like all these things to substitute God's love. Hold out till you get to the steakhouse and eat the real deal. And then number three, give that love away. Because that's the secret to long-term living in the love of God. The secret is becoming, as we discussed before, not a reservoir of love, but a channel of love. You know when you work out, you tear some muscle. But what happens every time you tear a muscle, it comes back more. You tear one muscle cell, two of them come back in place. That's how you get stronger. You become weaker, and then it replenishes more. God's love is the same way. I promise you. Go to your house today. And go fill the other people in your house with the love of God. And go shine that love on them. And I promise you, you're going to wake up the next morning, you're going to have more than you expended. You will always have more love replenishing you than you can expend because it's an infinite supply of God's love. Leave you all with this last verse. 
John chapter 3, verse 16. Most famous verse in the Bible. You see it at all sporting events. People say John 3, 16. It says, on Father's Day, we remember this verse because this is what Father's Day is really all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Many of us out there, we have rejected God's love without even knowing what it is we're rejecting. We have made assumptions about God's love based on our parents, based on our friends, based on stuff we just, in our own logic, we have rejected or been arm's length away, resisted a love that we don't even understand. And what I'm telling you this day on Father's Day is that the Father showed us how much He loved us by giving His only begotten Son. And if that doesn't do it for you, and that doesn't convince you that this love is worth investigating, my question to you is, what more are you waiting for? Like, what are you holding out for from God to show you that his love is there for you? And his love will never, ever, ever, you can never outrun his love. And you can never change his love. And you could never put conditions on his love. If this doesn't convince you, I don't know what will. My prayer for today is that God would change our lives, all of our lives, would revolutionize our lives, put our lives in a new context, and that is the context of knowing his unconditional, unchangeable, and undeserved love for us. Let's stand up together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you because there really is no limit to what you'll do to show us your love and to fill us with your love. So I pray, Lord, that the words that we just heard wouldn't just be like head knowledge or intellectual, but you'd let us to really understand and experience your love in a new way. Let us go deeper in your love. Let us to, to be filled with it so that we can not only give it away, but we can constantly be replenished with more and more of that love, and we can shine that love. Like we said in the beginning, Lord, that like fill our homes with your love and our world with your love our, everywhere that we go. We want to be characterized and known as people who are full of your love. Fill us, dear Lord, with a special blessing this day. And all those who are really struggling to know your love, I pray that you'd help them to experience it this day. So we pray all these things in the name of your only begotten Son, with the prayers and the intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Once again, happy Father's Day. Have a great week. See you all next week.